just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Hi, welcome to my alchemical bromance. I'm Matt Anthony. And I'm Eric Arneson. So we finally got this going this time. Yeah, that was actually the best intro ever, I think. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to, or we've been trying, actually you've been doing the bulk of the trying to make this happen for the last month and a half. I think it's fine if we want to name it to uh, Eric Arneson's Alchemical Bromance. We probably should at this point. Featuring Matt Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> On guitar. <laughs> Um, so tonight, uh, we're going to talk about Kabbalah. Oh, sweet. Do you know anything about Kabbalah? Uh, very, well, a little bit. Well, you probably know more than like the average person, right? Oh yeah. I know more about Kabbalah than my mom and dad. (laughs) That's weird. I know more about Kabbalah than my mom and dad too. (laughs) Is it generational? I think Um, so. Because I think my grandparents probably knew a lot. It it skips a generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. My my grandparents were famous Kabbalists, you know, (laughs) the the infamous Kabbalists of Lancaster, Minnesota. (laughs) I was like, the infamous Kabbalists from uh, Oklahoma. (laughs) Um, So why don't you tell us what you're drinking tonight, Matt? What what is that? I'm drinking the the drink of all good uh, Gig Harbor socialites. I'm drinking... um, Cab Sav out of a box from BOTA. That's why I'd, it's probably called Boda, but I always call it BOTA. And, uh, right, it's the. Uh, I'm also pairing it with the other drink of all good Gig Harbor socialites, uh, coconut liqueur. Coconut, huh? I yeah. I uh, I have the lemon liqueur, although I call it Lacroix. Lacroix. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, here's what I'm going to be drinking because it's because it's way more exciting than that. It's the seasonal petite classique from the Commons Brewery in Portland, Oregon. It's a Saison with pink peppercorns. Mmm. Um, I'm going to try to open it uh, in my microphone so you can hear it do that little, like, stop thing. Yeah. Psh. Hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully it just doesn't go. it's flat. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah, Did you hear that was, it? Yeah, that was satisfying. All right. Okay. Maybe I can get it to do some sort of like a glug, glug, glug pouring sound too. Yeah, we should just make this an ASMR podcast. We can, we can just talk like this the whole time. Oh yeah. This is... <laughs> <laughs> well, my microphone is super sensitive. I have to get up close to it or you can't hear me. <laughs> Ooh. Stay tuned. We'll be popping bubble wrap soon. <laughs> My beer looks delicious. It smells, um, it smells like a Saison. Mm. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <clears throat> so the Kabbalah, like, uh, should we, I was thinking, you know, since we're right at the beginning of the podcast, it would be interesting for all of our listeners, you know, assuming we ever get any, um, to kind of like know what we are about and what we know so that when we talk about weird occult stuff, they won't say to themselves, gosh, darn it, those guys sound unexpectedly like idiots. They should know up front how dumb we are. (laughs) They should. This is something I've only like scratched surface level. Oh, then maybe I can, um, maybe I can uh, poorly instruct you. And fill you full of wrong-headed ideas about it. Because the bulk of my knowledge comes from um, the Lon Duquette book, uh, Chicken Kabbalah. Of Rabbi Lamed Ben Clifford? Yes. That is, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, uh, I believe that is probably the finest introduction to Hermetic Kabbalah that exists these days. Good. It was really approachable. Yeah. Um, I think before that, and it's, it's, got a, it's hilarious. Like, he's got a really good sense of humor. Right. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And before that book was in print, the best introduction to Kabbalah was uh, Dion Fortune's Holy Kabbalah, Mystical Kabbalah. You know, the book that everybody has seen in used bookstores about Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the Hermetic Kabbalah, right? So, so the Hermetic Kabbalah isn't like the core or the original Kabbalah. No. Um, Kabbalah I recorded with that. A, li- yeah, yeah, Kabbalah yeah. with a Q instead of a. K. K or a C or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. You know what? This beer is um, like it's got a great nose, but it's kind of surprisingly mild in flavor. Huh. Ah. 
I, re- I recorded that little intro to Kabbalah thing a, a couple weeks ago. You could probably insert it into the middle of this, right? Using yeah. your oh, yeah. editing powers. This is a brief history of the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah has its roots in earlier systems of Jewish mysticism, but it really originated in the 12th century. Famous 12th century Kabbalists include Isaac the Blind and Naamanides, or Ramban. The Zohar, which is the real roots of Kabbalah, emerged in the 13th century, and it was probably written by what we call the Zohar Circle, a group of anonymous Jewish mystics like a little brotherhood of enlightened forgers. It was collected by Moses de Leon, and it might be super old, but it's probably not. Kabbalah can be split into three main branches. Spelling them differently is a peculiarity common to ceremonial magicians, so I will mention it here so that you will know about it for future reference. First, there's plain old Kabbalah, spelled with a K, which is Jewish mysticism. Next, we have the Christian Kabbalah, spelled with a C. And finally, the Hermetic Kabbalah, spelled with a Q. Christian Kabbalah arose during the Renaissance. It was started by Giovanni Pico della Mirandola during the Florentine Renaissance. He was, as far as we can tell, the first Christian to collect Kabbalistic texts. He studied Hebrew in order to read them, and facilitated the first translations into Latin for non-Jews. The Christian Kabbalah was mostly an attempt to interpret mystical Christianity, and also kinda to convert Jews. It was influenced by Neoplatonism. Famous Christian Kabbalists include Raymond Lowell, Pico della Mirandola, Athanasius Kircher, and Christian Nor von Rosenroth. This tradition mostly died out in the 18th century. Hermetic Kabbalah arose during the Enlightenment and 19th century magical revival. It's heavily syncretic. It draws in elements from Jewish Kabbalah, Western astrology, tarot, alchemy, Gnosticism, the Enochian magic of John Dee and Edward Kelly, Hermeticism, and Eastern mysticism. It was extensively developed by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn at the end of the 19th century. Famous Hermetic Kabbalists include Samuel McGregor Mathers, Alistair Crowley, Dion Fortune, and Israel Rigardi. Finally, the Jewish Kabbalah. This has continued to develop and evolve. Historians divide it into several different parts. There's the pre-classical Kabbalah, which happened before the Zohar. The Zohar stage itself is called the classical or theosophical Kabbalah. And finally, the ecstatic or theurgic Kabbalah started a little bit later with Isaac Luria. There were big changes in Jewish Kabbalah. First, when the Jews were expelled from Spain in 1492, which was sort of the roots of the Christian Kabbalah. Next, there was a string of Jewish wannabe messiahs. And finally, there were strong developments by Isaac Luria in the 16th century. This tradition continues to develop, but it's not readily available to non-Jewish students. Famous Jewish Kabbalists include Abraham Abulafia, Joseph Gikatila, Moses de Leon, Isaac Luria, Rabbi Lo of Prague, who's famous for the whole golem thing, Sabatai Sevi, Jakob Frank, Israel ben Eliasar, also known as the Baal Shem Tov and the founder of Hasidic Judaism, Moshe Chaim Lozato, and Arya Kaplan. So one of the things I talk about in there is that like the Hebrew Kabbalah, so like a lot of people, I think, get introduced to Kabbalah through the Hermetic Kabbalah, uh, especially if you're not Jewish. I think that's kind of the the route you tend to take. And um, and a lot of that stuff sort of came out of like the Golden Dawn, and it all is very focused on the tree of life. And the tree of life is like this metaphor for the world or a metaphor for whatever you want to stick in it, which is kind of a departure from the Jewish Kabbalah, the Kabbalah with a K, because it, you know, the... The source documents for that are the the first stuff that we have on that is all kind of like biblical commentary that just gets super weird. But it's also really hard to understand, right? Like you don't really get to, you don't really get much out of it unless you have a really good background in the Bible and can speak Hebrew and are interested in some of the more obscure and esoteric uh, parts of Judaism. In fact, it is really like esoteric mystical Judaism. Now, did it exist prior? To, this is where I'm going to really show my ignorance of this. That's all right. Ask questions. <laughs> did it exist before? My understanding is that it popped up 
in Spain in the 1400s, 1500s? Uh, 1100s. 1100s. But yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, it, and then it developed a lot, right? So hmm. it didn't really start turning into what we have now until probably like the 14 or 1500s. There was this guy named Isaac Luria, and he was, uh, he was a Jewish Kabbalist, and he's the one who really like started forming the tree of life into the way we look at it now and coming up with all of the the crazy uh, additional ideas like the the klipoth and the simtsum and all of this, you know, super awesome, strange stuff, which, and I don't know how much that really, uh, here's where I'm going to sound like I'm really dumb because I haven't read a whole lot of uh, Hermetic Kabbalah stuff in a while. So I don't know how much of it, how much of that, the Jewish stuff made it through the golden dawn and into sort of the popular or common knowledge of what the Kabbalah is. See, now we need to have our grandparents on so we can ask some questions yeah. about this. <laughs> They're probably more <clears throat> apt to talk about it anyway, because weren't you traditionally not supposed to even start studying it until later in life? Or am I thinking of Albert Malin? Uh, no, there's, there are some, uh, traditions in, in Hebrew Kabbalah that are like that, that say that, but, uh, it's, again, it's a very broadly practiced and many traditioned thing. So the Hebrew Kabbalah is, 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 there's a ton of different styles and different schools and different ways of looking at stuff. And since it was also like, um, what do you call it? Insular and cut off from each other. There were tons of different you know, paths. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what did you think about the chicken Kabbalah of Rabbi Lamed Ben Clifford? What was your first impression when you started reading about it? That, uh, Lon's a very funny guy, but, um, <laughs> but, but we do that already, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I said earlier, it was a good, good way of starting to dive in because I had no idea where to start. And that's honestly the last place I left off. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did a really good job of explaining, like I said, just on a surface level, um, yeah. a lot of the things that I'd heard. So when you studied um, other esoteric tradition stuff, did you, you you didn't come across it a whole lot? Or was it just kind of a, oh, I'm going to have to get to that someday sort of thing? It was a, yeah, I'm going to have to get to it someday. Because it was referenced in a way where it was just assumed that you already knew and understood <laughs> a lot of Kabbalah. It's it's funny. It's uh, I, I kind of you know I mean I I guess I've been studying it for uh, s- since the twentieth century. How many years is that? Like seventeen years or something? Um, but not like not like really hardcore the whole time, um, <clears throat> which I'd like to talk about in a second. Uh, but first of all, I want to say that I kind of remember what it was like when I first started reading about it. Because it was the most baffling thing. It seemed so abstractly weird, kind of like I didn't understand what it was for or how it was connected to the rest of the esoteric occult stuff or why um, why it was important. It took me a long time, I think, to kind of wrap my head around it and start to understand it. And then I got a, I got a little disenchanted with it. Uh, I think I mostly got disenchanted with it because through studying Hermetic Kabbalah, uh, I learned more and more about the Hebrew Kabbalah, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, all of this hermetic stuff is crap. <laughs> it's it's just dumbed down and simplified, and, you know, they, they throw out all the interesting stuff. And, and then when, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, now i got to learn Hebrew, and i got to read the Bible, and i got to do all this stuff. And this is, you know, not really my bag. Uh, and so I, I gave up on a lot of the uh, practicing parts of the hermetic Kabbalah to just sort of read... Jewish Kabbalistic texts in English, of course, and it, it and I it, it was just very um, disconnecting for me. Like it was too far removed from my, I don't know, experience and knowledge and view of the world to make much of an impact. So just recently, I started reading this book, Kabbalistic Concepts by William Gray. Now, this book is kind of hilarious. But it's also kind of an eye opener and sort of refreshing because it's it's a Hermetic Kabbalah book and he William Gray was a guy in uh, hold on I got too far away from the microphone didn't I no um, he was a uh, he was an Anglican priest or something and he was part of the Golden Dawn and other sort of esoteric groups 
Oh yeah, he joined the Society of Inner Light, which was Dion Fortune's group. So, um, so he's sort of connected to Dion Fortune uh, that way. And his take on Hermetic Kabbalah is 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 pretty unique. Like he strips away almost all of the the uh, the Hebrew stuff. He he replaces. He uses the English alphabet. Or, I'm sorry, the Latin alphabet. You know, he um, <clears throat> he changes around. Uh, all of the attributions of stuff that the Golden Dawn had done. He, he basically just invents an entirely new system um, and calls it, you know, it's, a, it's his own style of Kabbalah. But he's, he's, and it's written in a way that I think, like, anybody can understand, but it's so different from everything else that I don't know if it's a good intro book. But he has this thing where... Uh, but the, so one of the there there are all these mnemonics. So you know in Kabbalah you have the tree of life, which you know when we put this podcast on a web page we should have an image of the tree of life there with all the stuff yes. on it so people could refer to it. You know, but uh, so he has the the tree of life with the English letters on it instead of the Hebrew, and then he has a mnemonic alphabet where to help you remember where everything belongs. I'm not going to read any of it. It's it's kind of dorky, <laughs> but uh, but it's a really interesting take on stuff. He and then he goes on to have this practice where you use like the the letters on the paths uh, connecting the different sephirot, and you're supposed to think about what the connections between those mean as you write out or sound out words, to the point where like your everyday speech is filled with correspondences between the sephirot as you make noises or think thoughts yeah it's like total immersion english letter kabbalah do you feel like anything's lost by going to english <clears throat> well that's that's kind of where um i that's sort of where i had the revelation that uh no i don't think so i think that um the way that the uh, that the hermetic kabbalah works uh, it's okay for it to be divorced from its Hebrew beginnings because it really is a um, a metaphor for, I guess, a model of creation, but it's also a metaphor for any system. You know, you're supposed to be able to fit any sort of complete system onto the tree of life so you can see, you know, its beginning in Keter and its end in Malchut. <clears throat> and that's something that Dion Fortune talks about a little bit. Yeah, so I think uh, that was sort of the revelation I had was that it's you have to treat Hermetic Kabbalah and Jewish Kabbalah as completely different systems. You know, the Hermetic Kabbalah is not about uh, reinter reinterpreting Torah. It's not about um, understanding the attributes of the Hebrew God. It's not about um, it's not about esoteric Judaism. You know, it's about. Uh, in fact, it's not really about esoteric anything in specific. It's about it's a it's a it's an esoteric system that's specifically f for being unspecific. Ooh, that was uh, that was an awkward sentence. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was some sort of super editor that could go back in time and 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 uh, fix words that I have said and put them in the proper order. Do we have it like a time machine or something? <laughs> All right, now uh, I've just talked a lot about Kabbalah. Do you have any questions? Yeah. So we have Hermetic Kabbalah and we have traditional Jewish Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. The problem, or not problem, the part of the reason why I haven't jumped into studying more of the Jewish Kabbalah is, one, I don't know where to start. And two, is I've always been told that a lot of the material is full of blinds. Do you know if that's true? <clears throat> um, you know, the Hermetic stuff is full of blinds also. Um mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm not really sure if they are intentional blinds or not. Um, sometimes it's just misprints that aren't caught by editors because, you know, let's face it, people are writing about strange things in different languages and using using alphabets they don't know and languages they don't know. And of course, they're going to be making mistakes. Sometimes it's really, you know, stuff gets really obscure. Uh, I think the, the big problem with studying Jewish Kabbalah while not being a Jew studying from a rabbi who knows like traditional Kabbalistic stuff is you do not get access to everything. Mm -hmm. 
there is tons and tons of stuff you don't get access to. And I do not really, so, you know, you, you can, I guess the feeling I get is that you can, you can start with, you know, there, there's, there are two books you could start with that are, that are pretty good. The first is uh, a guy named Gershom Sholem. He wrote sort of a general, he, he was a historian of Kabbalah and he wrote a lot of, you know, articles about it. So you can get like a collected volume of his works that I think is just called History of Kabbalah. Um, and that's really good. Very interesting. Uh, reading that, you will discover also, I mean, it is filled with so many bizarre stories. There was a period of time in the probably like 1400s through the like late 1700s, early 1800s, where there were messiahs popping up all over the place <laughs> in Europe. Uh, some of them kind of famous um probably even more that weren't famous at all, but they were all sort of Kabbalists who decided, you know, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to lead the chosen people back to the Holy land or do all sorts of weird stuff or abolish the, you know, the, uh, the law and the commandments or, uh, one of them, uh, Sabbatai Tzvi, he got super nuts. He did all these, this stuff like, uh, he converted to Christianity and then he converted to Islam and then he, he was, he, and his followers would just like flock to him. And in fact, I think he still has followers today, uh, even though he's been dead for like 250 years. Um, and then there was another guy, uh, Jakob Frank, who, uh, I don't remember his story at all, but he was a pretty fascinating wannabe Messiah as well. But there were, there were a series of these wannabe Messiahs. So that's kind of fun. I totally lost track of your original question. Um, it was just a good place to start ha- and oh, yeah. question of oh, blinds. Yeah. Oh yeah, the blinds. Um, you know, I mean, if there are blinds, I probably am not good enough to spot them. But I do know that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff that's just left out. Like the things that you can get in English, the things that you can get that are translated, or even the things that you can get that are in print and not just, you know, manuscripts passed down from teacher to student. Um, are pretty limited. So it's mostly like the most famous Kabbalists and their most popular texts. Um, <clears throat> so the other great place to start is the Sefer Yetzirah, which is actually a pre-Kabbalistic text, um, probably from like the second or third century. And um, it is not very long. It's a description of creation uh, and it's very metaphorical and very strange, and it sort of sets up the structure of the Hebrew alphabet and why it's so important. And then it gives you instructions for creating a golem and huh. um, and that's always of handy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but uh, the version that I've read that's really good is is uh, the the one in the silver the silver one that's it's translated by a guy named Arya Kaplan. And um, he provides commentary and his commentary. So he was a he was a Jewish Kabbalist, uh, a a rabbi Kabbalist. And his um, commentary, it is like mystically delicious. (laughs) Like you'll read it and you'll just I mean, I remember reading it and just being blown away. Uh, In fact, it took me two tries to get all the way through it. It was so packed full of dense, heavy concepts where, you know, he's taking this. I mean, it's something like. The, the Sefer Yetzirah is something like 200 lines long or something. And he turns it into this whole book of commentary. And so the whole time you're just sort of like, holy shit, what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the, the one I remember most, I mean, the way, I mean, I am pretty sure I wasn't stoned when I was reading this, but who knows? I was living in Ashland at the time. I think everybody's stoned down there. <laughs> uh, sorry, Ashland. I, I didn't mean that. I'm sure all of you are completely sober. But I was... Uh, there's this part where he talks about the creation of the Hebrew alphabet, the alphabet. So the in, in Jewish Kabbalah, like Hebrew is sort of seen as the language of God, like the language of creation, right? So mm-hmm. creating the alphabet is sort of equivalent to creating creation. And um, then it all this, does it all start with Yod? No, it all starts with Aleph. Aleph, and then Bet. Hence the name, Alphabet. I don't know. For some reason, I was jumping back to something in uh, Chicken Kabbalah about um, <coughs> Yod being kind of like a flame and then everything else kind of emanates from it. 
Yeah, that's the uh, that's the tetragrammaton, right? Like the the sacred name Hashem, the mm-hmm. the name of God. Well, I meant just um, the actual. I mean, beyond that. Oh, um, that it it even looks like the flicker of a flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember the full explanation, but I believe that you are right about that. Like I said, you know, I uh, a lot of that stuff is very difficult to hold on to when you don't mm-hmm. have a really. Um, good knowledge of Hebrew. So I probably read that and forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But uh, in, in the Sefer Yetzirah and I'm talking about this from memory. So a lot of this is probably going to be wrong, but there are three mother letters, uh, Aleph, Mem and Sheen. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the thing that, the first thing that blew my mind and it, I, I want to preface this by saying this is like 15 years ago. So, so it was a, what do you count before one or the way, the way Arya Copland described it was if, if there's only one thing that exists, uh, that thing being God, um, is there any need to even have the concept of one? It's like. If you, yeah, it's, and then even when you, so you don't basically even have the concept of one until you have two things. And then all of a sudden you need to have a concept for one and a concept for two. But before two, you don't need to have a one. Yeah. This is just yeah. all. Yeah. You have all or you have nothing if nothing is even possible. I think nothingness and allness were sort of the same, right? So you had a somethingness that came out of the nothingness. So all of a sudden you're like, oh. We have two different things now, a something and a nothing. Um, and I remember when I first read it, like the way Arya Copland put it, I, I was just sort of stunned for a moment and I had to put the book down and rest my brain for a while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the book is, you know, his, his commentary is full of that stuff. It's it's dense and it's wonderful. And um, I think even if you aren't interested in the Hebrew Kabbalah, it's pretty fun to read. Um, he gets into some pretty fascinating stuff, especially around the part, I think it's in, um, book two or book three of the Sefer Yetzirah, which I suppose would just be like different sheets of papyrus or whatever, who knows? Because like I said, it's not very long where he starts talking at, where he describes the process for building a golem or making a golem. And it's, uh, it's, it's like thought form creation, like, uh, like making it like, like the chaos magicians do with the uh, servitors, mm-hmm. um, or like a tulpa, you know, tulpa, everybody, everybody knows tulpas now. Cause I think they're in video games. I don't think I know what a tulpa <laughs> is. A tulpa is a, uh, is a mental construct. It's from some sort of mystical Tibetan tradition. In, uh, you know, in the, in the old sh- shadow novels, you know, only the shadow knows one of the shadows enemies creates tulpas and sends them against him. He has to fight tulpas all the time. <laughs> so those, I think those two books, if you want to study, um, Hebrew Kabbalah are pretty good. And then if you want to, so, you know, the kind of the crowning opening work of, uh, Kabbalah is the Zohar, which is huge. Hmm. Right, it's many, many books. If you, if I move my head um, in this direction, and you see those yellow books, middle shelf, yeah, on the bookshelf behind me, yeah, uh, those are the first nine volumes of the Zohar. There are three more come uh, that uh, I think two more are out, and I have to get the, and then the third one is coming out later this year. Um, it is huge, and it is all a big chunks of it are a commentary on. It's basically um, an esoteric commentary on the Torah, uh, with all sorts of other stuff mixed in. <clears throat> and see how prepared I am. I have these books here to show you right next to me. Uh, so, in the 18th century, this crazy man, this crazy German man, man named uh, Christian Knorr von Rosenroth, Rosenroth, <laughs> or something, <laughs> uh, got a hold of the Zohar and translated um, some of its interesting bits into Latin. Uh, I think his goal was to translate the whole thing, but he never finished. So um, 
McGregor Mathers, you know, the Golden Dawn guy, he got he got a hold of uh, von Rosenroth or uh, Nor von Rosenroth's um, translation, which was called Kabbalah Denudata and translated into or at least partially translated into the Kabbalah Unveiled. Um, and the parts that he translated are are interesting ones. Uh, a lot of the Zohar, you know, like I was saying before, if you're not really into studying Torah or studying Bible stuff, it can be a little dry or a little, or it can feel very um, uh, irrelevant to your life and your spiritual pursuits. Mm-hmm. But um, there is great stuff in the Zohar, like hidden away. Two books that are pretty fun are the Greater Holy Assembly and the Lesser Holy Assembly. And the Greater Holy Assembly is uh, nine or ten rabbis in a cave. It's all like a bunch of rabbis having conversations about stuff. Describing their vision of God. And their vision of God is this terrifying, giant, glowing, white skull with long woolly white dreadlocks tons of them dripping down to the earth and each of them is running with divine creation fluid that is described as being strange and milky and <laughs> and no. the, the skull this giant skull has three eyes uh, one of which never blinks because it is, it is the eye that maintains creation uh, and supposedly is uh, is uh, is an early like pre-enlightenment, pre-renaissance um, rendition of like the all-seeing eye. But uh, the skull is also filled with like divine power. So it's like shooting lasers out of itself the whole time. It's, it is, and it is described in like exact detail, like the number of the dreadlocks and the number of the holy fountains and the beard of the, sk- and, it, and it totally describes it all as a skull. It's, it's pretty crazy. So, um, Anyhow, I've been descri- I've been comparing a little bit the version in um, Mather's Kabbalah uh, Unveiled with the Zohar trans with the uh, other Zohar translation, which is the Pritzker translation, and um, they're close enough that you can be entertained. But if you really want to get like an accurate vision of what the Zohar says, don't go with Mather's. Mather's mm. is a poor English translation of a poor Latin translation of just part of the Zohar a long time ago. And, um, I can imagine I've read maybe there's a translation of Abermelon. It's a little, yeah. Yeah. Rough. Oh man. Yeah. And I, I, I got the new one of those. Um, and I haven't read it yet, but, uh, I have looked up a couple passages and it's surprising how different it is. Hmm. Um, have, do you, do you have the new one yet? No, not yet. I saw, totally I, I saw a friend who had it uh, last yeah. month, and I was uh-huh. pretty jealous. Um, I got it for my birthday last year. It was, uh, I, I really, I haven't read it yet, but I, I plan on it. I have followed a couple people, uh, you know, a friend of mine worked through it last year, and then um, I followed one or two people online who have worked through it, so apparently the new version of it is actually workable alone without uh sequestering yourself in a uh you mean they actually did the operation they i mean i thought you meant through the book they actually so they didn't buy a a house by the river and uh i guess uh, i guess the way (laughs) yeah the impression that i got from them is that the the version that's outlined in this book doesn't require you to have a uh a giant sandbox in the near a river and um and what what is it a six-year-old child seer who could like yeah <laughs> yeah apparently you don't need that yeah, you pretty much have to put your life on hold for nine months yeah <laughs> um yeah i don't really know all the details i could just tell you some of the stuff that i i witnessed um you know secondhand which is that you know there's portions where you don't eat meat or portions where you don't drink or portions where you you know restrict yourself in various other ways there's probably all sorts of interesting rituals you get to do that would be some interesting homework for us would be to get that book and read it and then discuss the Abramelin thing. Yeah. Operation. I mean, it'd be, yeah. I'd, it's something I always thought, man, that'd be really cool to do if I wasn't married and was independently wealthy and could just shut myself off for a year. But if there's another way, then you already have a, a house way out in the woods, uh, near a body of water. That's true. All you need to do is, is kidnap a child and you're set. 
a, a psychic child. I think you need a psychic child. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got an extra room. You could fill your you could fill your little extra room area with sand. That's true. And I could always use Barley the witch dog as a as the yeah. as the kid. Yeah, he totally sees things that aren't there. <laughs> how Creepy. how is Barley the witch dog? What's he been up to lately? Not just staring at spirits. Yeah. Staring in the mirror. Doing some scrying, he, I think. Is he there right now? Is he is he watching us right now? No, he's not in the room. Okay. Okay. No. <laughs> Can you feel it when he watches you like through walls? Do you know he's doing it? Yeah. <laughs> All the hair stands up on my neck. Barley. Well, my cat is with us right now. Um he's asleep though, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wake him up. So do you know much about Christian Kabbalah? Uh, I do know a little bit about it. So uh, it has an interesting story. We have to get a little bit into some more history nerd stuff here. Mm. In 1492, which is, a, which is an auspicious year for us Americans, um, Ferdinand and Isabella finished conquering Spain and kicked all the Jews out of Spain. And this, uh, this Spanish diaspora... I believe that there's probably a better name for it, but I do believe it includes the word diaspora, brought uh, a lot of this mystical Judaism all over Europe, including to Italy, where the Italian Renaissance was like just kicking off. You know, uh, you had Ficino and Pico della Mirandola and all these awesome dudes, Michelangelo and Da Vinci and all these super cool dudes uh, doing their Renaissance stuff. So they all got introduced to Kabbalah. Pico della Mirandola enjoyed it and wrote about and included Kabbalah stuff in his in his famous theses and his orations on the dignity of man and that sort of stuff. And then all of these Christian magicians and alchemists and stuff started getting their hands on Kabbalah and started studying it. Now they had they would already study um, Hebrew in in school alongside Latin. So a lot of them could already read the language, and so they would get a hold of these, you know, mysterious manuscripts and all of this great, like, mystical stuff, and they started to incorporate it into their work. But one of the things they really got interested in um, is using the Kabbalah to prove the validity of Christianity. <laughs> so <clears throat> so that's, uh, that's the big, or at least it, that's what it seems like what people say is the the core part of Christian Kabbalah is using Kabbalah to prove the validity of Christianity and to prove the divinity of Jesus Christ and to then go back to uh, Kabbalistic rabbis and, see, and say, see, see, we were right. You should totally be one of us. <laughs> and now we have Jews for Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the one that's really, or the one part of it, I, and again, my knowledge of Christian Kabbalah is limited only to stuff that I've read about it. Like I've read, there are some famous Christian Kabbalists, uh, any sort of Renaissance magician that you read, any of that Renaissance stuff is going to have um, elements of Christian Kabbalah. So, uh, Agrippa, um, Athanasius Kircher, uh, Robert Flood, like all of those guys were Christian Kabbalists. <laughs> but one of the things that they did that you will see, I think even echoed into Golden Dawn stuff is the um, representation of Jesus's name in Hebrew as a uh, pentagrammaton. Am I allowed to say that? Is penta Latin? <laughs> uh where it's uh, yod he shin vau he. Huh. Um, so the shin makes it Yeheshova, Yeheshua, or Joshua, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that was sort of the big thing. They're like, aha, see, we have introduced one of the mother letters, shin, into the tetragrammaton and created this divine name that coincidentally our Messiah had. I don't know about your Messiah, like Tzvi, that doesn't even have a sheen in it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I guess it worked in some cases. I believe that they actually did manage to convince certain Kabbalists, uh, Jewish Kabbalists here and there that, that, uh, that it was cool. But you have to remember that at the time Judaism was, was a little Messiah hungry. You know, they were you know, like, like I was talking about all the wannabe Messiahs. So that mm -hmm. probably, that probably helped their case a lot. Um, but that was, uh, but Christian Kabbalah um, kind of died out. So after probably uh, 
Nor von Rosenroth and the Kabbalah Denudata, it was almost gone, you know. So in the 19th century, that's when Hermetic Kabbalah really started. That's where you had like Eliphas Levy and the Golden Dawn, the Golden Dawn boys. Mm. Uh, Which and... is also the name of our bluegrass group. Oh, <laughs> uh, I really want you to break out in song right now and <laughs> sing in one of our Golden Dawn boys. <laughs> <laughs> Herbetic bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but but uh, Hermetic Kabbalah, I believe, was pretty heavily influenced by Christian Kabbalah. I mean, there's a lot of Jesus stuff in the Golden Dawn. Oh yeah. <clears throat> we aren't. When we talk about these other religions, even though we make a lot of jokes, I want everybody out there to know that I'm not actually this irreverent. I just sound like it. I just play it on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So um, do you feel like you've learned interesting stuff about Kabbalah? I do. Like I've got some more jumping off points instead of, I I keep putting it on the back burner with some other stuff. Like, yeah, I need to get around. It is, you know, you have to, um, I think that one of the things that really helps uh, in addition to, you know, reading about it and learning more about it is having like, you know, things that you can incorporate into your daily practice using the Kabbalah. Um, probably the best practice, the best Kabbalistic practice uh, that came out of Hermetic Kabbalah is the middle pillar ritual. Do you know that one? I do. Israel, Israel Rigardi wrote a whole book about it. Um, but the middle pillar is all mm-hmm. Kabbalistic contemplation, you know, placing yourself on the middle pillar. I think... You know, I mean, in a way, uh, William Gray's English letter Kabbalah, where he has you contemplating the different paths as you say and think words, while that's fairly intense, it's probably also pretty good for learning what the different sephirot are and how they um, interact uh, and what they are and what they mean, you know. But it still carries over, like, if you were to pick Jewish Kabbalah back up or Hermetic Kabbalah, it would still make sense. Uh, you know, depending on how far you get into his little um, wormhole of, of changes, you know. But uh, this, he, I mean, I mean, William Gray. He it ends up. He turns out he's pretty prolific. He wrote quite a few books on Kabbalah. So, and you don't really hear people talking about him a whole lot now. So I don't know how widespread his system is or how how many people are out there using it and studying it, but you know, you can, you can take his practices and adapt them back onto the hermetic system, the hermetic Kabbalah system. Okay. Definitely. Um, and then the other practice that is really good is, uh, like the golden dawn style of path working. At least I think it's golden dawn style. So, you know, each of the tarot major arcana corresponds to one of the paths on the tree of life. Mm-hmm. There are 22 of those and 22 paths. See, I'm making really important motions out here with my hand where you can't see it. <laughs> no, uh, like everyone that's going to listen to this. nobody at home can see it. Everyone that listens to this is going to be like adepts and uh, they're going to be able yeah. to sense it. <laughs> they're going to be laughing at us a lot, probably. Um, so uh, The number one listen podcast by Secret Chiefs. <laughs> Hi, Secret Chiefs. <laughs> Do you think they listen to this before we record it? That's the real question. I mean, if they've got those superpowers, they might be listening to it before we actually even know what we're going to say. They were shaking their heads 20 years ago at all the bad stuff we're saying. <laughs> They're like, oh, we have to bring about the apocalypse before they create my alchemical bromance. <laughs> yes, boys and girls at home, we are giving you bad lessons in magic. <laughs> I think we found our tag tagline. My alchemical romance, <laughs> bad lessons in magic. <laughs> bad lessons in great magic. <laughs> or maybe great lessons in bad magic. magic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, which means I'm probably going to screw up this lesson, too. So, those of you listening at home, uh, go get the Golden Dawn Black Book. Heck, get the new one that John Michael Greer annotated. I don't have it yet. Um, I haven't even heard about it. Oh, it came out like last year. Uh, I've been really excited to get it, and I was just reminded about it now. I might order it on Amazon while we're chatting. Huh. <laughs> uh, so this method of path working, 
Um, so the goal in pathworking is is to understand sort of the connection between two sephirot, but also like the meaning of the path between them. Um, and uh, Eliphas Levy and later the Golden Dawn um, ascribed a, tar- a tarot trump to each one of those paths. So the 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 method involves you know some pretty strong and hefty visualizations. So if you work through the uh, uh, like Donald Michael Craig's Modern Magic book, like we talked about in our last episode, I think. I mean, that was recorded yeah. a long time ago. Oh, yeah. I don't remember it very well, but I'm pretty sure in between bottles two and three of your ridiculously strong beer, we were talking about that was Modern a, Magic. Yeah, the book that Joey and I both had to hide. Yeah. <laughs> Heck, uh, even even when I wasn't hiding being a magician, I was hiding it because it's got such an embarrassing cover. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, there's a, you know, there's the tarot contemplation in there. That's part of the daily practice where you pull out a tarot card and you, you memorize it pretty much, you know, you, you basically scan the tarot card to the, it, it's a visualization exercise where you try to recreate the tarot card in your mind's eye. Um, and, uh, so path working is kind of the next step beyond that. So you do want to work up to it by, by practicing visualizations so that you have a really so that you're confident in your ability to create images in your imagination and hold them there. <clears throat> so uh, what you then do is you visualize the card that you're that uh, belongs to the path that you're going to be working with. And in your imagination, in your visual realm, your imaginal realm, you step into the card until you're there with the character in the card, and then you turn around and you see what they're looking at, hmm. like in that world. And it's kind of a way of, uh, you know, once you enter into that really intense kind of like trance state where you're focusing on the card and then you do this operation, it's a way of seeing how your subconscious mind is working with the cards or what it pulls out of them or what it pulls out of the meanings. And that is, I believe, how that pathworking works. <laughs> oh, but William Gray, I, I bookmarked this bit because it's it's a little funny. Um, William Gray has a pathworking exercise where he totally, you know, has his own goofy little William Gray way of doing things. He, he, he recommends you uh, reading yourself a guided meditation, like recording it and then um, saying it back. And it's 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 really I, I just want to read a little bit of it because it's super funny. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then settle down and close your eyes. Breathe regularly and evenly. In, out, in, out. That's the rhythm. Now, concentrate your inner gaze right at the back of your physical eyes, at the root of your nose. But don't strain. That's in italics. Ease off tension and relax. Yes, relax. Relax. Now we are going to visit the 19th path on the holy tree of life between spheres four and five. Mercy and might. That's halfway up the tree, but we shall get there by elevator. <laughs> you are sitting <laughs> You are sitting in one at the moment. Can you hear the doors slide shut? There they go. Press the button marked 19. Up she goes. Up, up, and still up. Ah, it stopped. Did you feel that little hitch under your feet as the movement ceased? There's the elevator door opening with its usual gliding sound. And we can see another door immediately opposite the opening. And it goes on. It's <laughs> but <clears throat> I love how uh, his <laughs> his path working method involves a um, magical inner elevator. <laughs> so did uh, Chicken Kabbalah. No, they went a path working exercise, but he was explaining the four different uh, worlds. The, Wait, uh, did he use an elevator too? He used an elevator. <laughs> well, yeah, but he was trying the, to be the funny. formative, the creative, the oh yeah, material. oh. It, Right, right, right. You know, I haven't, um, I haven't actually gotten to the part in here where he talks about the four different worlds. But I was, I was flipping through it, and I noticed in the back there are, <laughs> there are little diagrams uh, associating consciousness with um, electrical schematics. I don't know if you can see that very well through the. <laughs> so, but so come to think about it, most goetic sigils look like electronic ooh. schematics. That's a good point. Wait, so the whole 
uh, like language of electrical schematics was sort of invented by Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Do little... you think he was a go- goetic magician, perhaps? Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise no, me. Yeah. <laughs> he was into some weird stuff. <laughs> Speaking of, we should start a uh, T.O. Hellfire Club. <laughs> Don't you think we're all a little bit too repressed for something like that? <laughs> all the reason to do it. <laughs> jo- Joey would be good for leading that. Yeah, maybe he could be, what do you call the leader of the Hellfire Club? The the Grand Hellfireist? <laughs> the Grand Dirtbag. <laughs> the gr- <laughs> well, I miss Joey. I hope he can join us next time. I do too. Uh, probably have to drag him. I'll probably have to come down there and we'll have to pick him up and force yeah, him into it. Yeah, I think next time we should definitely uh, hit a brewery. That sounds like a plan. Perhaps the day of your birthday. Yeah, which is coming up, or uh, given our current schedule of things, listener, my birthday happened approximately three and a half years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's it's coming up uh, a year ago. Coming up in another six months. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. All right, I still have a little bit of beer left here. See, this is how much beer I have left. Can you tell? I can. Um. So, uh, so you need to ask me some more questions. Ask me questions about, uh, Kabbalah, um, or anything else. Like, do you have like some math homework or anything? Oh, math and Kabbalah are related. Hmm. Do you know about gematria? I do. Or as some people, so gematria or gematria, I like saying gematria, but I don't know why. Uh, how do you say, how do you say gif? I say gift. I say gift too. That's, that's why I say gematria. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, so gematria, uh, for those in the audience who don't know, uh, Hebrew, like Greek, way back in the old days, didn't have, oh, and like Latin, I guess, uh, they didn't have numbers. They, they used uh, letters for numbers where, you know, Aleph was one and Bet was two and Gimel was three and so on and so forth. And so that means that every word was also a number. And gematria is the process of taking these, of taking words out of Torah, uh, converting them into numbers and finding interesting correspondences with something else. Um, Now, I don't remember any of the numbers off the top of my head, except for, of course, the tetragrammaton is 26. I think everybody always remembers that one. But uh, there are catalogs of these. So like Aleister Crowley wrote a catalog of these. uh, Albert Pike um, wrote a catalog called the, uh, it's sitting on my shelf right over there. If I wasn't plugged in, I would totally go look at it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh, I'll just go get it so we can have an example. Okay. okay. I'll be right back. Ah, cat. See, I, I could edit all this out, but I feel like we need, gonna... to, we need to stay authentic. <laughs> Oh, I grabbed the wrong book. <laughs> Did I grab the wrong book? Did you grab Morals and Dogma? No, I grabbed, um, I thought this was the one. It's, I grabbed Sefer Hadebarim. It says the book of the words, but let me make one more try. There's a lot of books over here. I'm jealous of Eric's shelves. My house in Oklahoma had a huge built-in bookshelf in the living room. And when we moved, I ended up having to sell most of my library. Well, not most. Probably half my library I had to sell. And uh, our new house, well, it's a cool house. It does not have any bookshelves. So all my books are still in boxes. It makes me sad. <laughs> was that a good story or a sad? That was a sad story. It was a sad story. Talking about how in Oklahoma I had a giant built-in bookshelf in the living room. And when we moved, I had to sell and give or give away half my library. And our new house oh. doesn't have bookshelves. That is sad. I'm sorry to hear that. You could just do what I did and go to Ikea. That's probably what I'm going to do. All right. Well, uh, in my memory, uh, Albert Pike's book of Hebrew words was called the Sefer Seferim, which makes sense because that would mean book of words in Hebrew. 
but I couldn't find it. I probably have it in one of my other piles that I use for research. They're all out of frame, so you can't see them because it's it's a dump in here. Um, so I gave up and I got uh, Alistair Crowley's excellent book, 777 and Other Kabbalistic Writings. So we can look in here and we can see he has everything in the in the back. Sefer Sephiroth. Oh, wait, maybe that's his book. Who knows what Albert Pike's book is called? So he has all the words uh, arranged by number. So you can look at uh, what's your favorite number, Matt? Seven. Are you serious? That's a really low number. Yeah. Okay. Also like 36. 36. That's a better number. I mean, for this, because, you know, you want to have a lot of letters. You can see that the word for confession, which is Vav Yod Dalit Vav Yod, has the same numerical value for the name as the name uh, Leah, Leah, which is Lamed Aleph He. So the Kabbalist would look at that and be like, ooh, this is, this is significant. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, that's about as far as I usually get with Kabbatri before I get really bored with it. I mean, it's, uh, I don't, it's one of those things, you know, there's a lot of stuff in, in the occult that is super hung up on correspondences. You know, chorus, you know the correspondence is one thing and another. And sometimes it's useful, but a lot of times I find it to be mostly significant as a way for uh, as a as like a a thing to contemplate or think about but from my understanding of gematria is people get or there are certain kabbalists maybe whole schools of kabbalah i don't even know that get really hung up on certain gematria equivalencies hmm. so i'm trying to find some other good ones here 93 oh yeah and i well that's i think uh Let's find out. 93. I mean, I know the Thelemic, but... Ooh, 93. It means... It's also the word for incense, the word for a disc or round shield, and the word for an army, and some other stuff. Um, But, oh yeah, so... uh, But 93, like, you you could do the same gematria stuff with greek right because in greek the letters were used as numbers as well and that's where the 93 comes from that's like the word for thelema mm-hmm. and the word for something else i'm not a uh, i'm not a thelemite so i don't pay as much attention to that stuff does just mean do you remember isn't it just will is it will and love i think it's just will oh are you looking i'm looking okay well, I'm going to pour myself some more of this beer then. Because they use 393s, don't they? Don't they be like 93, 93, 93? Love is the law, love over will, or... Uh, 93 means agape, or agape is 93. Agape, which is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the lima and agape, or 93. So love and will, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, and, and that is... But that's a... Uh, Gematria association around which all of the Tholemic religion is based. Mm-hmm. So, Greek. yeah, but that's a Greek Tholema. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other things that's uh, one of the other... Co- so, you know, uh, one of the things that we should be getting out of this is the Hebrew or the, the alphabet, like the language uh, manipulation is very important in um, Jewish Kabbalah. Uh, and one of the other techniques they use is Noterikon, which is kind of a way of making acronyms. And a lot of famous old dead Kabbalists have Noterikon nicknames that they are known by. And I am not going to remember uh, any of the actual meanings off the top of my head, but uh, one piece of Noterikon that's very common in Golden Dawn ritual, for instance, is Ararita, Ararita, which you've probably... You use it in the hexagram ritual, for instance. Um, and that is a Hebrew acronym for some very, very long title of God. And then, uh, but you have like the Rambam and the Ramban and all of these other, I mean, would there Agla, are a lot of guys. Huh? Would Agla be? Ag- Say that again. Oh, Agla. Yeah. Agla. Yeah, is yeah. That, that is one oh, also. Okay. That's uh, yeah. Adonai something, something, something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adonai Gibor Leolam Adon Yeah, something Yeah, Adonai is totally in there somewhere yeah. though 
Atag Gabor Olamadai. That works for me. I think that's right. For thine is the... Power and the glory. Power and the... Yeah. Hmm. Oh, for the, thine is the strength. Is, Leo Lam is... Uh, uh, beauty? No, no, no. Beauty. No, 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 it's no. like for thine is the that's the glory. Yeah. For thine is the power and the glory, O Lord. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Great lessons in bad magic. <laughs> I swear we know a little more than we let on. Just a little though. I mean, a conversation like this would normally involve both of us probably like running around looking in books madly <laughs> because we just didn't memorize any of this crap. <laughs> uh, it's not crap. I'm sorry. It's so it's super cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess, so that's, I think, um, most of the Kabbalah I know. I mean, there's more. Way more. There's so much more. We could get into Musar. We could get into We could Gwyneth get into Paltrow. the Baal. Oh, yeah, Gwyneth Paul. Oh, you mean Madonna? Uh, <laughs> Ravi Berg at the Kabbalah Center? Yes. Uh, no, let's not talk no. about that. That's just tacky. On our it is, but our also, uh, I mean, those guys were selling Kabbalah water on their website for a little while, where you'd spend like 10 bucks to get like a bottle of water that was <laughs> Kabbalistically enhanced somehow. Or then like their magical red Kabbalah thread that, oh, you, yeah. like, they, they were just fleecing people out of money like crazy. They sell, uh, and I don't remember exactly what the critique of their version of the Zohar is, but if you are looking to get a Zohar, do not get the one produced by the Kabbalah Center. Instead, go for the Pritzker version, which is probably just as expensive or more expensive and um, is uh, put out by Stanford University Press. We will have a link in the, in the post that this... Yes, yeah, in the show notes, we'll have a link to, all, to great introductory books and then um, books to uh, fall asleep to. Like the Pritzker Zohar. Record yourself reading it in William Gray's voice. (laughs) And then play it back, slowly. (laughs) We will be taking the elevator to God's skull. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was I totally just lost myself? Oh, yeah. So apparently the Kabbalah Center's um, version of the Zohar, uh, even though they, they tout it as the first full English language translation, it's not... And I, I haven't looked at it or looked through it or compared it enough to really know, but that is something to be aware of. Like, look into it and get more details if you decide to buy their version. Because I know that every once in a while you'll find a complete Kabbalah Center Zohar on eBay or something, and it'll look awfully tempting. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, not knowing where to, to jump into because mm-hmm. there's so much... Well, well, we've talked about, I mean, we could like recap there's, so we've, we've talked about a number of good books for it. For Hermetic Kabbalah, the um, Chicken Kabbalah of Rabbi Lamed Ben Clifford is great. Dion Fortune's Holy Kabbalah is also great for starting out. Even William Gray, even the William Gray's uh, Kabbalistic concepts would be good. For Jewish Kabbalah, if you happen to be Jewish, talk to your rabbi and see if you can find a good Kabbalah teacher. But if you are not and you want to learn about it, then you're going to be stuck mostly reading history and stuff that's been translated into English. So the good places to start are Gershom Sholem's historical stuff and Arya Kaplan's translation and commentary on the Sefer Yetzirah. Cool. Those will be in the show notes. (laughs) Along with a huge (laughs) string of corrections, probably. Heck no, we're never correcting ourselves. We're always right. <laughs> we're on the internet. We're right. Yeah, totally. Well, I feel like I've Yeah, we're like we're like the we're like the wrong side of Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I I've learned a little more. So that's good. Oh, good. Makes me want to get back into it. Yeah, I mean, I've really been enjoying getting back into it. I I took a I took a break for a little while where I was just pretty much reading parts of the Zohar uh, and not very seriously or regularly. And it was really just recently where I kind of decided that I should suck it up and study the Hermetic Kabbalah again because uh, I'm never going to learn Hebrew. I've got so many foreign languages I'm trying to learn, which of course means that I'm learning none of them. Same here. I bought a bunch of flashcards yeah. learned Hebrew a couple of years ago, and I just, I, I'm not going to get around to it. 
not this, <laughs> not this trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could uh, I could read Greek pretty well now. I just don't know what any of it means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to save Except, all my uh, uh, brain power for Esperanto. Yeah. <laughs> Then Enochian. When the shit finally hits the fan. Enochian and Esperanto. I'll be set. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That way after after Trump uh, nukes us all into oblivion, we'll be... Um... Oh, crap. I wonder, This is going to air after the presidential election. Yeah, it will. Ah, after everything might be different. The season finale of America. <laughs> Isn't the season finale series of America finale. like my series finale? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, after after everybody gets nuked into oblivion, I think Esperanto and Enochian are going to be the only two languages you need. I'm, I'm counting on Enochian. <laughs> uh, I think you should edit into the background here some of those wax cylinder recordings of uh, Crowley? Crowley reading Enochian. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thanks for listening. Cheers. All right. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>